This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. All right, so I'm sitting here and I'm talking to Austin Aducci, and we are talking fly fishing today. And Austin, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? My name is Austin Aducci. I'm uh, born and raised in, in Illinois. Um, I've been fishing on the Kankakee River since I got my driver's license. Um, I'm a full-time guide. I've been a full-time guide for the last eight years. I've started my guide service, Grab Your Fly Charters, back in 08. Um, at that same time, I was a union carpenter. I had a really cool boss. I had a run a trip, tell him I have to run a trip tomorrow and he'd give me an address for the next day. Um, so yeah, pink key is my home water. So, um, pretty much when you turned 16, you were fishing it. Did, did you wait at first or were you kind of, um, in a boat? What'd you do? Well, I was a walking wade guy. Yeah. Uh, all those known spots in the state park, you know, around laying the island, um, rock Creek, um, around warner bridge all those just known walking wade easy access spots that's where i learned um i didn't get a boat until way later you know i got older and fatter and <laughs> i could run a boat and you know went and got my captain's license and that evolved uh, my guide my guide career has really taken me to some phenomenal destinations as far as fishing guiding um working I'm pretty fortunate. That's pretty cool. So you and I were talking a little bit right before we started this recording, and you told me kind of funny a little bit about how you actually got your first fly rod. Can you tell everybody that? That's pretty cool. Sure. Um, I was a smoker. 
like a lot of like a lot of people back in you know the day. Uh, Marlboro had a smoke pack, saved the points, and I saved up enough points. And there was a catalog full of stuff, and in that catalog full of stuff, there was a fly rod spinning rod combo. Um, that's where I got with my points from smoking cigarettes, and I taught myself how to fly cast in the backyard. <laughs> that's pretty cool. So, if you had a beginner, um, that's never fly fish before. What are you going to try and explain to them or tell them or to get them? I mean, the only experience I've got, um, is just trying to pull some crappies out of, a out of a pond and using the fly rod to get a little extra reach and swing them. So, I mean, that and maybe watching a river runs through it, but that's about it. <laughs> what am I going to tell a beginner? It's not as hard as it looks. One, two, don't get frustrated. And three, just have fun with it. You know, a lot of a lot of beginners come on the boat and they say, well, I've watched so-and-so's video on YouTube and this guy's video on YouTube and this guy's video on YouTube. That's great. Um, fly casting is much like a golf swing. Everybody has their own. It's hard to watch and learn how to fly cast from a YouTube video. You really have to go out and practice. The nice thing about learning how to do it learning how to so to fly fish around here is it's twofold you don't need that delicate trout presentation like you do out west you know and see dry see trout sipping on the surface you need that real soft dry fly presentation you don't need that here smallmouth especially on the kankakee where you know 70 percent of the season they're fishing in dirty water you know, smallmouth like the kill stuff. So the harder that fly slaps down in dirty water, that's just another trigger point for that fish to be like, what just landed? What can I go kill? Um, so you don't need that that soft presentation. And then two, you don't need distance like you do in saltwater. You don't need to be able to cast, you know, 70 feet to a pot of, pot of bonefish. You know, the basic fly cast that I have people do fishing out of the boat day in, day out, maybe 20 feet. And this day and age technology between rods and lines it really makes it easy for the beginner to feel that rod load and when i say feel that rod load that line to extend behind them to know when to come forward um it's really not as hard as it as it looks so you mean we won't have to sit there with a metronome going and try and get a rhythm or do any of that kind of stuff get there, some practice yeah there is no 10 and 2 okay <laughs> So then once you do that, I mean, like, what's the average length or what kind of rod, um, you know, are, are you, are you using for something like that? Common, common length rods or nine feet long. Um, you know, unlike the spinning gear world where it's medium, heavy, you know, ultra heavy, um, fly rods are, are, are gauged rated by, by numbers. The lower the number, just lower the number, the smaller the fish bigger the number of the bigger fish. So a 12 weight rod, perfect for tarpon. A two or three weight rod, be perfect for the bluegills or crappies. So smallmouth on the Kankakee, somewhere between, depending on time of year, six weight to eight weight rods, that's what you're looking for. Okay, okay. And then um, when you're doing that, you guys are, I mean, you're launching in the river and using like a drift boat then? and and. When I started, when I started my guide service, I was primarily strictly on Lake Michigan. I did that for a couple of years, um, you know, targeting all the 
migratory species when they came close and some are smallmouth and carp against break walls and things like that. Um, after a couple of years of that, having a lot of cancellations due to weather, wind and waves on the south end of the lake, like if I'm going to make this, if I'm going to give this an honest, harder try, I needed a plan B, I need something else to do. So back then there was no other drift boats in the area. Um, I bought a boat. I had no idea how to row it. I kind of knew where to put in and where I could float to. Um, I had a buddy that, that rode rafts out in Idaho. When I called him up, I said, hey, I need you to teach me how to row. He said, all right. So we put it in at Bird Park on a really windy, cold, like early April day. And he's like, all right, you do this, you do that. All right, you good? All right, have at it. So we're supposed to take out at Hunting Area 9. Yeah. Okay, so that's that's like 12 miles of river. Major headwind all day. Got in a little bit of trouble, and he just sat there laughed. Um, it was like 14 hours later we got to Area 9, and that was my first experience rowing the Hank Key. Um, that was 11 years ago, 10 years ago. So that has evolved into, yes, I still have a drift boat that I use in the summer when the water's low. But now I also have a jet boat that I use with the high water like today. Yeah, that's, uh, I've been wanting to get out on the river and just, I mean, with everything being closed the way it has been closed, it's been tough. And now that things are open again and the water got high, I just, I haven't gotten around to it yet. Hopefully maybe this weekend or something, if it, we don't get too much rain. Oh, they're calling for snow. What? I know we were supposed to have a frost, but that's <laughs> perfect smallmouth conditions. <laughs> well, okay. Maybe I'll try and get out then. But yeah. All right. So, I mean, is there anything else that you like? Um, what would you recommend to somebody if, uh, if they're wanting to get into fly fishing? I mean, go out and buy the greatest or, or you know, what kind of equipment should they be having? You know, this this dollar dollar to what I'm getting conversation comes up a lot. And it's a really hard question for somebody like me to answer. Um, that being said, all the fly rod manufacturers out there, really nobody makes a bad rod nowadays. Um, and, and the beginner, the, the average angler really isn't going to be able to tell a bad rod from a great rod. So how much are you going to use it? What can you afford? And, and kind of aim for middle or top of what you can afford because you're eventually going to get there. I mean, I started with, with cheap, cheap stuff and then started to like it and got into it more and more and moved up to that medium dollar amount, that middle of the road, and then eventually got to the high end stuff. So eventually you're going to get there to the max that you can afford and, and start there. Okay. All right. Is it like any recommendations of actual brands or just pretty much anything that's uh you know, that branding comes into price points. Um, and again, it's really a, a personal question. I mean, I'm, I'm obligated to say Sage, you know, buy Sage all the way, but I know not everybody can afford Sage. Okay. Um, so yeah, really whatever you can afford, that's my safest non-political answer all right any i mean any other recommendations as far as like uh 
other equipment that's, you know, something, something that's kind of essential to somebody besides just the rod and uh, the reel. You know, take, let's talk specifically for the Kinky. Um, if you're going to pick up or dive into fly fishing this summer on the Kinky, you need a box of flies, a rod, reel, and line. Um, the Kankakee water is clean enough to where you can wet weight all summer. It's actually quite refreshing. Um, you don't need a ton of a ton of gear. You don't need to be that spinning gear angler that's got you know 16 boxes hanging off the wing. You don't need all that. You need a small box of flies. And I mean, dive into that. The Kankakee really changes throughout the course of the season. And when I say season, it's like mid March and it goes all the way till Christmas time. Um, you know, early in the season, the water's up, it's dirty, you're throwing big, big flies, you know, that three to five inch range, um, because the water's dirty, anything to draw their attention. But then on the flip side, you know, come June, July, August, water drops because of all the vegetation from all the runoff from the farms, that river gets crystal clear. So you have, you can't throw those big flies anymore because the bass know, oh, that's crap. So you have to downsize and go more natural. Your leeches, your sculpins, your crayfish, top water, of course. Um, so, I mean, if you hit those five forage categories, you, know, you can put a pretty nice little box together and just stick it in your pocket and have a great day. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. When you go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know, right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. Yeah. Um, so when you're taken out and guiding, um, is there any... Any specifics, like certain times of season, um, as far as how you're going to target them differently, other than, I mean, just, you know, throwing stuff, that your different baits at them that time of year. But is there any kind of, like, you're looking for different places in the river? Or? Sure. I mean, in the spring, like I said, the water's up. It's usually dirty. Um, CFS, cubic feet of water a second. That's how any river gauge is, is, is rated. Um that CFS number is going to dictate where the fish are depending on the time of year. The higher water, the higher the CFS, usually draws them tight to the banks, tighter to structure, hiding out of the current. Um, say August when the river's at 700 CFS, super low, really clear, those fish are, are sitting in the most oxygen, oxygenated water they could find. You know, a lot of times riffles or, or lifts above a riffle. Um, that cooler, more oxygenated water. And then in, in the winter, the winter months, you know, October, November, December, those fish have migrated, you know, out of their summer spots and dropped down into those deep winter holes with very little current. So yeah, there's definitely places to look to, to edge your advantage. So, uh, how do you, I mean, how do you, how do you get somebody to, I mean, do you ever have a problem having people 
trying to actually cast and getting the hang of it though? Or is it just something that? No, that's the nice thing. Yes. But by the end of the day, no, um, there's been a couple instances where communication between say me and, and an initial customer setting up a trip says, Oh, I want to bring George with. Okay. Well, I didn't, it's my fault. I didn't ask the question, well, can George fly fish? I just assumed, you know, his buddies fly fishing. I just assumed they both do so. On these occasions, these guys have shown up and pull away from the ramp, get going, and I hand them gear. And George says, well, how do I do this? Well, what do you mean, George? I've never done this before. (laughs) So at that point, we usually pull over, do a little, like, 10-minute, just really quick casting lessons. And you know, you've got eight hours, and in eight hours, you pick it up pretty quick. Um, like I said, those those contributing factors of not being trout pretty and not needing great distance. Um, I haven't had somebody get on the boat that's never done it, and by the end of the day, still can't do it. They usually get it. So do you ever target, like, the trout that they, uh, they release? No. No? no. You're strictly a smally kind of guy? Smallmouth, um, every year we get probably a dozen accidental walleye um, in the my time guiding the Kankakee on the Illinois side. We've pulled three or four pike, again, by accident. Um, but no, it's primarily smallmouth. Okay. And uh, so when you throw, like, what, what kind of weights are you using for your your lures when you're doing all the different kind of stuff like that? I mean you're not using these tiny little like trout flies, right? Oh, no, no. I mean, for, for springtime smallmouth, I mean, we're throwing big, big fish patterns like this. And, and the thing with, with flies is yes, you can add weight. You know, a lot of times the eyes are the weight. There's cones you can use. You can wrap lead wire on the hook shank. Um, I've kind of, because I have so much stuff, I've tried to, condense my stuff and i would rather have four boxes of flies like this that are unweighted and fly line technology has come so far that you could fish all the different water columns based on what fly line you're throwing you know you have that intermediate stuff that gets you down that one to three foot and then you've got the the full sinking line that gets you down you know depending on grain weight it gets you down 40 feet i mean i used to fish lake trout Lake Michigan in 40 foot of water and be dredging bottom with flies that were unweighted. So um, can you explain that to me? I mean, I don't, um, I've never really fly fish, so I don't really understand that. But so you used to fit fish with flies in about 40 feet depth of water. Sure. Yep. So how does that work exactly? There are three categories of line. There's floating line. Okay. You fish top water poppers on in, in July. There's the intermediate line which I'm fishing right now. The water's up and it's dirty. That gets you, you know, that, that mid-water column. And the longer you let that, that line in the water, the more time it's going to sink, which brings that fly down deeper. Same principle with full sinking line, which is the last category. And in, in the fly world, it's, it's rated um, grain weights. You know, anything from a 200-grain sinking line to... 450 grain sinking line 450 sinking grain line is going to sink extremely fast like almost a foot a second 
So you can count that down, you know, based on your water depth. Make the cast, count it down. Okay, I'm 20 feet down. Now I start stripping. Stripping is the action that you're pulling that line to make that fly come to life. Whether it's jigging or swimming or twitching or pausing. So whether or not you move the rod tip and pull the line at the same time would dictate the motion of the, the fly? And um, when you do that, I mean, how much line are you pulling back in before you actually reel any in? Uh, you you never really reel in, per se. Um, you only really, fly anglers only use the reel for, you know, big game species. Salmon in Alaska, carp on the Great Lakes, um, tarpon in saltwater. Um, the normal smallmouth guys only reeling that line up at the end of the day when it's time to go home. A lot of that is, you know, you're stripping that line in or twitching the rod and the fish comes on and you raise that rod tip and then you're just strip fighting. You're just pulling them in by hand. So you pull them in by hand. Yeah. That's interesting. So when you pull, okay, so when you set the hook, are you keeping tension on that line or are you letting them run with that line? No, keeping keeping tension on that line all the time. So, I mean, it's kind of the same concept except there's no tension on, on the actual reel. You're, you're holding the line in your hand and then using the rod action, just like you would to, to set that hook. That's correct. Okay. All right. That makes sense. So I still can't, I don't know. It's hard for me to grasp the whole fly fishing thing because in my mind, everything has always been top water casting. And like I said, you see it in a movie or something, you know, this is the perfect example. This is where the beginner is just, you know, start reading or watching YouTube and it's just like, what's going on and it, it it sounds like a lot but once you once you have your mindset okay i want to learn you know top water game and you just dissect the top water game there's really a small amount of knowledge that you need to to make it happen and then so like I mean, what are some other things then as far as uh, like your, you know, your midwater the column trying to figure out and casting or reeling in, I mean, not reeling, but stripping the line. Is there other things like that that you need to, you know, learn or, or technique or a concept behind that? Yeah. And a lot of it is, you know, and I've seen this too. I've had, you know, your stereotypical, just say trout guy. You know that when you're when you're fishing trout, it's just a nice steady strip. That's great, but very few bait fish just come back in a straight line. So over the last three or four years, I've really not yelled at, not rode my customers, but really tried to instill in them that the more that you can make a fly look real by rod tip twitches like you're like you're fishing a jerk bait the more you could get that fly to kick and pause and and look erratic the better chances you're gonna have okay so i've seen guys uh tying flies and different you know things like that what what would uh i mean are you buying flies tying flies should somebody make their own or just go buy something to start playing with them um until you know, yeah, this is what I want to do, just go buy them. Um, the, the nice advantage, I do not buy flies. I tie flies. I have, I think, 12 or 13 different patterns that I came up with, tested, caught fish that are in production. 
to get a pattern in production, you send them off to a fly manufacturer and they do their research if you're copied off somebody else. And if they deem you're good and it's legit yours, they'll, you know, you basically get a royalty from it. So I have 13 of those out there. Um, the nice thing about, you know, tying a fly is, is the same, same principle as a walleye guy, you know, airbrush and crankbaits. You can really hone into what your local waters need and desire. Color, size, um, different materials, how, how you can manipulate them, um, whether it's you know, natural, natural fibers or synthetic. Do you want it to absorb water or shed water when it casts? You know, all those things could come into play with fly time. So I don't, you can kind of see back there on that wall. I mean, that's just some of my fly time material. Um, you can really get carried away with flying fly tying stuff. And that seems overwhelming because you walk in the shop and shop walls <laughs> loaded like that. And it's like, well, you know, I only want to tie this one fly. It, it, it's overwhelming in the beginning. But after a little bit, it's really cost effective. You, know, you buy a fly for, say, $5. If you buy enough material to tie that fly, it might cost you $12. But you're going to be able to tie three dozen of them. Hmm, that is pretty cost effective. So why you, you mentioned that the shedding of water versus uh, retaining the water. What what purpose would that serve or why would you want one to do that or the other? Uh, buoyancy to give that life different, to give that fly different life. Um, the more water it absorbs, the faster it's going to sink on you. Um, if it shed water, it's going to ride higher as that line's going down. It kicks and pauses different, different ways. There's just little niches and, so one might be safe to say that sometimes you would combine two materials together, one that sheds and one that retains water, so you could get it to sink and then still have some action. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that, fly tying is, you know, that's another thing where I there used to be a shop in Countryside, and this is way back. I mean, when I first was getting into it, and the shop owner was great. Throughout the course of the winter season, he would open the shop or keep it open on Thursday nights. Anybody that wanted to come in, hang out, tie fly, learn from somebody else, it was very informal. I used to go every Thursday, and, and I learned a lot of stuff from these old timers um, about how to tie flies. And the thing that stuck with me the most is you could watch somebody, you could see a fly in a book, and, and it could be, you know, this shade yellow thread. Well, does it really have to be? can I throw in some orange in there? You can make a fly your own. You know, play with it, see what works for you, see what the fish like, doesn't like, that kind of stuff. That's the neat thing to me in regards to fly time. So the the basic concept, though, I mean, to the fly is trying to mimic something in nature, right? I mean, like a, a bait fish or give it color. I mean, is that right? Or what, what are you trying to do there with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in regards to any type of fishing, you know, guys that are pitching soft plastics, you're trying to, you know, pattern a crayfish or, you know, drop shot and wacky worms, you're, you're worming. Um, same thing, baitfish, crayfish, anything natural in that fish's habitat per that body of water, yeah, you try and imitate the best as you can. And I mean, there's certain things that, I mean, 
is a chartreuse bait fish. Does that really exist in nature? No, but smallmouth really like it in dirty water. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> or a white zoom minnow or with some <laughs> sparkle in it. And yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, so trying to think of, uh, you know, different scenarios here that it would be applicable. I mean, so like you said, the different times of the year you do different, you know, depths and stuff and depending on the water, how fast it's going. So like right now with it moving kind of fast, what, uh, I mean, are they, are they going into the Creek mouths or what, uh, no, I, I, uh, I haven't pulled a fish out of a Creek mouth yet this year. Um, I'd say that I would say based on the season so far, they, I'm going to say they're still in their transition from their wintering holes to their spawning grounds. Um, I'm picking up an, enough bigger bellied fish to say they're eating well. Um, some are coming out of, you know, known pre-spawn areas and others are just in random places. Like, why are you here already? <laughs> okay. So kind of like a feeding ground right now transition then. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, this weather's not doing us any favors, you know, the ups and downs and the non-consistent non-consistency of water temperatures and, and worlds. It's just, it's all over the place. Every day is different. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can imagine it's uh, I can't believe that I did. Are they really talking snow? I heard, <laughs> I heard a frost. So everybody was panicking about their gardens being in, but, right. but uh, yeah. Wow. Okay. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know. I don't really have any more, questions i'm sure as time goes on and i try actually try and fly fish uh i'll have some more questions for you for you but um well there's an open seat for if you want to give it a go (laughs) okay that sounds good so uh i guess we can uh wrap this up you want to tell people where they can find you and how they can go out with you sure um internet's the best Uh, i've got a website www.grabyourflycharters.com my phone number 630-886-1964. 630-886-1964. I'm on Instagram and Facebook all over the place. If you just type in my name, Austin and I should pop up somewhere. That sounds good. I thank you. And uh, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you can check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenged.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show. that has the stories to back it a life to be proud of it's a winchester life yeah baby six eight western a mule there baby right there tune in every tuesday at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv don't miss mondays with into the blue brought to you by academy sports and outdoors every monday night from 7 to 10 p.m eastern on waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment